Hi there, welcome to the Creating Australia podcast. My name is Tia Hammett and I'm very excited to be guest hosting today's episode. Join me in exploring local stories, projects, businesses, people, ideas and more within the Australian property and development industry. So this morning we're speaking with Jean Lagerman. Jean is the owner and managing director of Freedom Building Design. Welcome to the Creating Australia podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. Wonderful. So, Jean, can you introduce yourself to our audience? What do you do? What are your passions and hobbies outside of work as well? So, my hobbies is a lot of sports. I'm a real sports person, to be honest. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I play a bit of touch rugby league. I used to play soccer. My favourite football team is Liverpool. I know a lot of people out there will be saying yay and a lot will be saying no, but <laughs> it is what it is. So, yeah. And I mean, I grew up in a rural area down in northern New South Wales. Yeah, I was on a farm, so I was sort of <laughs> young lad just running around being a crazy little kid. So yep. <laughs> yeah, I think that's basically my little life livelihood. I used to just go exploring as most young boys used to do. So yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Awesome. So you're not from Brisbane, the city area? No, northern New South Wales. Northern, so. northern New South Wales. Yeah, awesome. I moved up to Brisbane 2006, yeah. Perfect. Did you move up for studies or did you move up for work? Yeah, I moved up to study at TAFE. So as a building designer, it's a technical course that you have to do. So yeah, I guess it's a bit like builders as well. So they go, go through their TAFE college as well. So And our licence is pretty much parallel builders as well. So we've got medium and high and all that sort of thing and low density licenses so yeah so I went to TAFE at Morningside before yep. I went to South Bank it used to be at Morningside um, I think we were like the last year before it got demolished and oh, really? turned into units yeah so it was a bit I mean it looked like it needed to have a bit of a revamp yeah <laughs> needed <laughs> like, a fresh start Bank is probably yeah, yeah South Bank was obviously the best place to go so Awesome. So how did that journey begin for you? What prompted you to take that next step to start that as your career? When I was young, living on a farm, my dad always had tractors and cars breaking down and fixing up old Queenslander houses and all those sort of things, you know, the workers' cottages. So I started when I was really quite young. I reckon probably around about 10 or 12 years old when I started helping dad, you know, open up. You know, the tractor's broken down. I'd have my head in the tractor trying to help him and, yep. you know, all that sort of thing. And so I guess from the mechanical sort of thing, I was always inquisitive. Yeah. I've always wanted to know how things worked, Yeah. whether it was a building or whether it's a motorised vehicle or whatever. I'm always delving in. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that was part of the interest. Also renovating the house, as you can understand, termites get into houses and yeah. make a bit of a mess so you know renovating and fixing up was sort of in my blood from early age and my mum a art teacher so I did a lot of art sort of stuff so a lot of painting a lot of sculpture and sort of thing even landscaping has an artistic form to it so yeah absolutely uh, again from an early age I, I was really into that sort of thing so I yeah. guess I've mashed the two together, the, the creative side and also the logical side of how things work. So Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. I guess that's how it's 
evolved. Started. Yeah, it's always really interesting to hear like where people got that inspiration from to yeah. start their career. I, I probably would say nine times out of ten, someone who leads into a specific career has some inspiration when they're very, very young, whether yeah. it's through circumstances or I guess, um, you know, parents' influences. Yeah. It, it seems, you know, sort of rub off on you. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what transpired to, like, inspire you to create your own business then out of your qualifications that you got at TAFE? I guess I was at that point where you want to, you've got your own design flair, you've got your own thought process, the way you feel the way a company should be run. Not saying that another company is, you know, not doing it right. It just, you know, everyone's got their own personality and, and their own influences. So I guess that was one of the main things. I ended up wanting to take it the way I wanted to take it. It might be in a different direction from other companies, but it would be my way. Yeah. So I guess, you know, it, it was all up to me and how yeah. I felt it should be run from a, a not only from a, a business point of view, but also a, um, a personal point of view in regards to connecting with the clients or, you know, how you um, engage with them. Basically, I, I wanted a, a certain way to do it. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. I guess I'm doing okay. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Can you describe to our listeners what Freedom Building Design does and what sets you apart from maybe your competitors? Yeah, so Freedom Building Design is a building design company. We do anything from uh, residential, commercial sort of things, whether it's apartments, whether it's your mums and dads, renos or new builds or anything like that. We take the plans and evolve them into something that they want. So everything's custom. We don't copy and paste. We don't try and box people into a certain way of living. We talk to the client. We understand what their needs and requirements are from the way they live. You know, everyone lives differently. Yeah, <laughs> and, absolutely. Um, you know, having, having a pre-designed house and saying, here, choose from, you know, these five, it sort of pushes you into living the way it's already been pre-described. Yeah. Whereas the way we do it is we talk and sit down and we evolve it to the way the client wants because they're paying for it, they're living in it, they should live however way they want to live in their own home. So that's how we basically evolve from, uh, I guess, the sketch sort of stage to the built stage is through the client's personal wants and must-haves and would likes and all the likes so yeah we try and cram as much as we can in there obviously we can't get everything under someone's wish list but you know we, we try and get as many as possible so yeah that's fantastic yeah, so they're enjoying the house that they've actually paid for yeah <laughs> so. absolutely we all want to be able to enjoy that the way that we want to <laughs> yeah yeah exactly perfect and so you also specifically cater to NDIS participants. Is that right. a subsection of your work or is that what all of your work sort of encompasses? Initially, it wasn't. Initially, we were catering more to the, I guess, your mums and dads and your, you know, your standard developments and all that sort of thing. What basically happened 
just after, just after we uh, launched Freedom Building Design, my wife had an accident. And so a workplace accident. So with that, it sort of changed my focus. Um, she's still on workers' comp. She's had um, horrific brain injuries. And um, I guess when, when you are in that point where you've got something personal happening to you, you would describe it as becomes a bit of a passion. You know? Absolutely. Finding out that your wife can't talk for six months, knowing that memory is um, is bad. A brain injury, you know, any sort of brain injury is, is, is huge. Uh, and it's more, I guess, evident now because a lot of research has gone into it that your brain is, is very fickle in a way. A lot can happen real quickly. It takes a long time or if, you know, it may not ever, ever recover. So I guess the evolution of our company has come from from that point. Right? That was pretty much the catalyst, I would say. And I wanted to make a change. I, I could see firsthand how the struggles at home was, I guess, affecting my life and how the simple tasks that you take for granted, you know, it really was was difficult at home. And again, I, I felt that I could make a difference and I knew NDIS, but I wasn't I wasn't involved at that stage. And it just through I guess through a little bit of networking and a bit of curiosity and maybe a bit of luck, I, I managed to meet some really nice people and they gave me I guess the, the first leg up into NDIS. So with NDIS, I guess the offshoot is the SDA, which, which is your specialist disability accommodation. So we now, probably 95% of our work is via SDA housing. So we do a lot of apartments that hone in on participants and their disability. And because there's so many, I guess there's a vast range of disabilities and categories, no one's the same. Just like, you know, someone, you know, Joe Bloggs walking down the road, you, you look at them and there's, you know, there's all different types of um, personalities and requirements and everything like that. So even if they're, I mean, you've got a couple of different categories. I mean, it goes from, I guess, the retrofitting out of house to full on design where you need hoists to help get out, you know, get the participant out of bed or to the toilet or anything like this. And and there's so many requirements. It, there there is a lot of there is a lot of boxes that need to be ticked. Yeah. And rightly so. I mean they have four categories. I mean I can basically there's improved livability again, that that's basically retrofitting a house to help with slip rating. Yep. or something like that. So they're a little bit uneasy on the feet, grab rails, you know, these sort of things that can just basically improve a livable housing. Yeah. Then there's, we've got accessible, fully accessible. So fully accessible is someone in a wheelchair or, or the like. Could be a paraplegic, could be someone who was born with um, some sort of uh, disability. So they, they basically need the wheelchair, I guess, access circulation all these different things it's requirements and then i guess the the next part is a high physical support and that's where 
you not only have a wheelchair or motorised wheelchair, you've got that extra level of assistance. So voice control in the house for blinds and windows and doors, sensors, all these different things because someone may be literally unable to open a door or yeah. get out of bed. We have hoists and all these different things to make it life as easy yeah. as possible for them. And then the last one is, I guess, a little bit more to do with a mental state is um, they've got robust. So robust is basically a house to prevent um, prevent self-harm. So it's say, for instance, someone has a mental disability where they can have a seizure or they can have a panic attack or, or something like that where they get stimulated too much and then it, they just can't control themselves. Now, it's very important with robust that obviously that it, it nothing in the house is considered a weapon, right. so to speak, right? So glass has to be reinforced, no sharp edges, no drawers, tiles everywhere, because some people can rip up carpet and start chewing on it, right? These, right. these sort of things. So yeah. There's a lot of design emphasis into robust. You'll also see that there'll be, for instance, no mirrors. They're actually polished um, stainless steel. Right. And, and screw heads are hidden, all these different things to prevent self-harm because it does happen. Um, yeah. Chairs, tables, screwed down, all these different things. So you don't really think about what what it would be until you actually delve through the layers of what actually is required for for robust. Yeah. So um, it's a category that I guess is um, under supplied from feedback, and I I think the reason is because how can you measure someone's invisible injury, as mm. I call it, an invisible injury or a disability, because no one can see it. You know, people have depression, you can't see it. People have a mental illness, they can't see it. They can't, how's that tangible? And I think that's where robust is sort of a little bit falling down because there is so many people with a mental disability, but it's not really acknowledged. Whereas if you see someone in a wheelchair, you can physically see them Yeah. in a wheelchair. So you know their disability. So is this a new like a new addition to the NDIS scheme? Is that why they're sort of they're figuring out what what else might be necessary in that area? No, these these four categories have been here from from the inception of SDA. Okay. But I think as it matures, because it, it is still quite in its infancy, it's only been going for around two years officially. Okay. So yeah. it's, still in its, it's still in its infancy in regards yeah. to what works and what doesn't. I guess there are price guides and a lot of people look at the price guides in in regards to investment because it is it is a highly sought after investment sort of area and I guess the funding to me the funding doesn't equate to what the participant I guess is going through they sort of I mean they put figures on this and it's, it's hard to put a figure on someone's disability and that's why they've come up with all these different categories so they can get funding and so potential investors can see what funds they can get back as an investment sort of wise. But 
as again, it's it's hard to put a, a figure on it. You know, yeah. someone. How can you say someone with a mental disability is not as important in a figure, you know, money value wise, as someone with a high physical support? I don't know how to make that solution. You know. Yeah. But it's there, and what we find is everyone's looking at the, you know, obviously the highest investment opportunity, but it's not also, it's not the, I guess the most the most needed area, I believe. Yeah. Uh, robust is incredibly undersupplied. Right. Incredibly. But the funding is also not there either. So people mm. aren't wanting to Difficult. do robust yeah. things. Whereas high physical and fully accessible, everyone's going there. So that it's almost to a point where it's, there's an oversupply. Right. right? So it, I guess how do you even that up? I, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> don't know interesting. It's definitely an area a, that they a, need to work on. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I don't have a solution, but. Um, no, this, I guess, it's a loaded you know, question, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah I've, I've had those questions with some people that I know on the board of NDIS and, yeah. you know, they, they talk to me about it and it, there's a lot of, a lot of political things going on obviously because it's a government organization so you know it's a tbc i guess yeah very interesting gonna happen in the future yeah well hopefully we see some progress in that area so how do you as the designer do you have to work with like the client's care team like occupational therapists and things when you're designing their houses yeah so i mean our preference is is to know who's going into yeah. accommodation yeah because i mean the reason why we call it freedom building design is obviously because we want people to feel free in their own home to have that freedom and whether it's an able-bodied person or a person with a disability it's they're no different they want to they want to feel that freedom you know to live the way they want to live yeah. and we prefer to actually sit down and go through what that participant wants with NDIS and so and we do sit down with OTs or uh, support coordinators or anyone who really is on their team yeah so to speak you know on their side trying to help them there's a lot of support networks going on uh, in the background for the participants so we try and coordinate with them and and work out what's the best for the client and and with that you know we we have investors who obviously want to go for a specific, I guess, type of housing, whether it's, you know, fully accessible, robust, you know, so on and so forth. But they, it's more like a generalised tick box, you know, yeah. you've got to complete this, 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 this and this, whereas we delve that a little bit further, we talk to them about, you know, a little bit more about their personal lives. So, you know, colour schemes could be touch, it could be, you know, certain things that, might not make their life comfortable and we eliminate it yeah so you know it could be excessive amount of light they might need to have some blinds or colored you know some transparent blinds or something like that because it makes they could set off headaches or it could you know just irritate them or something like that so we try and make everything as comfortable as possible for them and that's how we delve a little bit further than i guess most people so or most developers and all that sort of thing so Yeah, that's fantastic. That's really awesome that you're able to provide that sort of subsection of clients because I would imagine that you found that gap in the market and you delivered on it. 
personally haven't heard of many designers that are specifically sort of targeting that niche as such. Yeah, and I guess it also comes down to my experience again yeah. with my wife. You know, she's yeah. sensitive to light through her injury. She she gets migraines. She she has different things that set her off. So I guess it's because I've sort of taken on that in my personal life, right? It's sort of transpired into what I perceive is right, you know, for a participant because you don't know the participant until you really know the participant. Yeah. And it's hard to design to someone if you don't know them and you need to know them because right? they are they are people. They are people Absolutely. just like you and me. There's no difference. They laugh, they smile, they, they cry just like anyone else and they deserve to have a house where they... And, and like these houses are designed for their forever homes because a lot of them will be for their ever homes. So yeah. we want them to love it just like you and I would love our personally designed house. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's so, awesome. Yeah, they, they deserve it. Absolutely. Everyone deserves equal opportunity, especially for something as simple as housing. <laughs> well, what exactly. we take for granted as simple. <laughs> Everyone yeah. deserves Yeah, well, that is correct. That is correct. And we're trying to make it as houses yep. for people with disability. Yeah. And it's just a different requirement, right? They just have different requirements than you and I, just wider hallways, you know, extra um, facilities to help them around every day. But yeah. at the end of the day, it's still a home. Yes. Right? And it's, it's still somewhere they can retreat to yeah. and then feel comfortable in. That's awesome. Really cool. Really inspiring as well. <laughs> Fantastic. So what is your vision for the future of your business and your mission and bringing attention to obviously the importance of the SDA and design's role within it? I mean, my goal is basically trying to make SDA more every day. You know, yeah. it's, it's not a specialty. Taking the stigma no, away almost. Yeah, it, it should just be, a, you know, just like building a, a, a normal house or mm. a normal apartment, you just build it. It's not yeah. considered as a specialist or a yeah. specialty because, you know, everyone has a house, right? Yeah. It shouldn't, for me, I don't see it any different than doing a, a standard, you know, development where you just go and, you know, five stories up or whatever it yeah. might be. There shouldn't be any difference. And yeah. Making it more like mainstream. Mainstream. There we go. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, yeah, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard to explain. I guess where I want to take this business because when I started the business as just doing mums and dads, it, it it almost took a you know a right hand turn and just kept going on the right hand. So you never know where it's going to go. But I mean, where I want to make sure is that we're providing the, the best quality of work. I think that's that's basically where I want it to go is I want to make sure that when someone comes to us, they're getting a product that is quality and yeah. not necessarily quantity. There is a lot of emphasis in um, getting housing out there for SDA through the government and even though they are they are getting a lot of developments out there we also need to make sure that they're not just cut and paste cut and paste and you know trying to 
tiring everyone with the same brush, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, because everyone absolutely. is different. Everyone's yeah. different. And um, yes, it may take a little bit longer and you won't get, you know, the the rollout as quickly as they want, but at the end of the day, these participants going in there, they'll they'll be living in there for the rest of their lives. So Yeah, in the process they, you're future proofing it. Yeah. Well, it, it is. I mean, you've got to make sure that they're not going to be um, let down in their own mind. Right? When they go into a, an accommodation, whether it's a short-term, long-term or, or mid, they, they have to go in there and it has to work for them. Yeah, they absolutely. They can't just go in there and, and make do with a situation. And that's not the whole point of it. So a lot of houses are built to get get out quickly. But when you do something quickly, the attention to detail and, and the, the care is not there. So, yeah. I mean, ours, we take a little bit longer, but we like to think that it's it's for the good. Absolutely. More than worth yeah. it if you're able to provide that as a long-term solution, that's for sure. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Amazing. So as our final question... We often, we like to ask our guests this question. If you could design and construct one building in your lifetime with no budget or real constraints, what would that building be? <laughs> I'm an indoor-outdoor person. Okay. So I guess, I mean, I, I don't like big extravagant houses um, to live in personally. I like to have a more of a personal, streamlined, low, low-hassle sort of house. So I, I would... I mean, not so much of a, a tiny house. Yeah, but, <laughs> it's a bit too far. <laughs> yeah, or, or a shipping container house, not not that sort of thing, but a house that is low maintenance, um, very streamlined, minimalist, I guess. Yeah, love that. Say. Yep. Indoor, outdoor, where you can open up your bifold doors or something like that and have the indoor, outdoor sort of feel. You can be inside and enjoy inside, but while enjoying outside as well. So... A budget wise, um, you know, I guess I wouldn't be saying, you know, oh, look, you know, millions and millions of dollars. I, I think <laughs> it's more quality of space than yeah. quantity of, of money, personally. Yeah. So that's probably the best way to describe it. So, yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for having a chat with me today. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you, what your website is, and all of your social medias? Yeah. So we're situated in Eagle Farm. So Number 31, Harmony Street North, Eagle Farm. And our website is freedombuildingdesign.com. And you can also either email us at info at freedombuildingdesign.com. You can also see us on, on Facebook or um, LinkedIn or what's the other one we got? We got um, Instagram. There you go. Yeah, perfect. Street. Awesome. <laughs> Just Google our name and we should pop up. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for having a chat with me today. It's been so awesome to hear your story. Super inspirational. That's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for that. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on today's episode of Creating Australia. You can subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date with our weekly episodes. Don't forget to also check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Creating Australia.